This is Jim Fleming. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to find out more about Stuart Heights or more about our class, or if you'd like to leave us some feedback, you can do so at teachings.jim314.com. Enjoy the lesson. Well, good morning, everybody. All right, let's start this morning with our scripture memory. So we've got 2 Corinthians 7 1. 2 Corinthians 7 1. Anybody got it this morning? Does Darla's got it? Does Darla have a friend? Any friends for Darla? 2 Corinthians 7 1. I don't know where Miss Amy V is. She's calling people out now. And quite, I, I'm okay letting her do it because she's got all the street cred in the world with this, so that's cool. That was awesome. <laughs> cool. All right. Second Corinthians 7 1. Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, affecting holiness out of reverence for God. Awesome. Well done. Good job. What translation was that? I didn't. Uh, okay. I didn't memorize that one this week. Okay. Cool. Good, good. So uh, let's take a look. If you got your uh, Bibles, uh, we will be flipping around quite a bit today in there, but go ahead and grab the handout. Uh, today's the fourth lesson in a five-week series on the doctrine of man. So we're going through systematic theology. Uh, it's the larger textbook uh, that Wayne Grudem wrote uh, about 20 years ago. Uh, this is the whole thing, uh, and it's going to take us about a year, year and a couple months to get through the whole thing. Uh, so we're in part two or part three of seven right now. This is the doctrine of man, and today uh, we go week four. So week one was the uh, image of God. Week two was male and female. Last week was last week was about what the Trinity. The Trinity. Well, the 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 yeah, trichotomy or dichotomy of man, right? So uh, body, soul, spirit, or body, soul, slash, spirit. Uh, and then today we look at sin. And then next week is the covenants that God makes with man. So lots of different views on that. It's a fun one. I've been learning quite a bit about that as well. So let's define sin. Um, sin is actually a tricky thing to define because it's, it covers a lot of grant. Yes, ma'am. We talked about this in cubbies. You talked about what in cubby? Sin or... Have a definition of sin. Okay. Cool. What you think, say, and do against God. Okay. And I think that is two thirds of it. I think that is two thirds of it. For three and four year olds, that is fantastic. Yes. That's probably that third third uh, is a tough one, and that's the one that, that is tough to explain as well, and kind of wrap for adults our head arounds as well. So uh, I think that's a really good one. So let's look at uh, Grudem's definition of sin. He says, "Sin is any failure to conform." To the moral law of God in act. So your first blank is act, A-C-T. Uh, so that's what you do. And we kind of get this, right? I mean, this makes sense. If you physically act out, okay, we can see that. We can, there's evidence of it. Um, you can even go back to the Ten Commandments and, you know, don't do these things. Great, we got that. Uh, the second blank is attitude. Uh, so this is your, kind of the way in which we do things, the heart that we have for it. 
Um, and this one's harder because you can't always see that. And sometimes you can, right? Sometimes you can see somebody who has a stiff neck that I'm going to do this, but I'm not going to enjoy doing this. And you can, you can hear it through gritted teeth, right? Um, so sometimes you can feel it a little bit. So the attitude piece, and this comes up in texts like Matthew 5, 22 and 28, where it says if you look to do something and you think it in your head, then that is a problem as well. Uh, and then the third blank is the tough one. Uh, in act, in attitude, or in nature. In nature. So we're going to talk about man's sinful nature today. So even when we think we're doing it right, yeah. And that's the third third that we're, I was just referring to. That that's a that's a tough one to wrap your head around. Uh, so so I want to go back to something that I didn't talk about last week that I wanted to, and it's that second sentence in that first little blank with your first little paragraph with your blanks. And it sin is defined in let's see if I can quote it in relation to God's moral law. Is that right? Yeah, uh, to God and His moral law. So does anybody have a Facebook page? Yes. Uh, there's all kinds of really awful theology that's shared on Facebook. Uh, I mean, spectacularly awful theology. Uh, it's, it's almost, in my mind, if you were to believe everything, the opposite of everything theologically that's posted on Facebook, you would have pretty good theology. It's, it's almost true to that point. So I saw a couple weeks ago, and it's been floating around, and, and if you've posted it, I'm not calling anybody out in particular, but I've, I've seen this be posted several times, so odds are somebody in here has posted it, and if you have, great. Not great, but... We'll talk to it. Um, so there's this article where this scientific something or another was done, and they weigh people right before they die, right? So there's some, they know exactly how much they weigh, and then at the moment of death, they weigh like a little bit less. And the article goes on to describe how this proves that man has a soul or a spirit and that it can be definitively proven with science. And... And my response to that is, I don't care if you can weigh it or not. My response to that is your epistemology is all backward. And, and the study of truth, uh, it's actually aletheology, but we don't use that word. The, the study of truth is, this, somebody hand me a Bible. I need a physical, there we go, thanks. This book defines what is true. Science can support this. Science does not define what is true, and the Bible support it. Completely backward. So if you want to believe something like that and believe a scientific... That, I don't care. But please make sure that this is the source and everything else is supporting material. Because if we come at it with, well, I just saw this with my own two eyes, so that's got to be true. Actually, this talks about that too. <laughs> it covers that. There's a scenario in here where... Uh, the devil can do stuff that's just crazy and makes us believe things that aren't really true. So, so I just wanted to cover that. So when we define sin, we have to do it with God as the focal point and as the basis for the definition. So we don't get to define sin as anything excluding God. If, if your definition of sin excludes God, then we've got a bad definition for sin. Does this make sense? So I had to go back last week and kind of pick up and then circle back. So I'm almost kind of glad I left it out last week because it may fit better here. So uh, let's fast forward. Uh, so would we all agree, I don't think this is in your handout, but would we all agree that sin is harmful to our lives? It brings pain and destruction. And I mean, this is just, right, this is the way this works. Uh, 
Uh, how does God feel about sin? He hates it. How else does he feel about sin? Yeah, it's hurtful, right? It's hurtful. He hates it. Uh, and there's gobs and gobs and gobs of verses in the Bible. I didn't list them here. Uh, it's generally not something that, that people would refute about the Scripture if you take Scripture at face value because it's just a lot of verses. If you want to write these down, Revelation 2.6, Jesus talks about the works of the Nicolaitans, and he hates those. Uh, he actually asked that church there to hate them as well. Uh, Jeremiah 44.4, uh, there's several verses in Psalms. I mean, it's just, there's just a lot of different verses that talks about God hates sin. The, the reason he hates it is that God is just, and he is righteous, and he is holy. And it is in full contradiction to his nature. And if, if God is a righteous judge, as the Bible declares him to be, and he allows sin to go unpunished or unjudged, then he is no longer a righteous judge. So his righteousness demands a response to sin. And it is a heavy topic, right? I mean, it's... You're going, this frames all of his responses since they ate the fruit in the garden. I mean, this is, it's, it's amazing the repercussions from this. It's the one domino in all of human history that when it got kicked off, everything else changed. So sin is a heavy, heavy topic. So let's talk about the origin of sin. Um, I like the way Grudem approaches this. It's very, uh, I was going to use the word systematic, but that's kind of the name of the book, so it is. Uh, so here's your next blank. God himself did not sin, and God is not to be blamed for sin. Uh, and, and we can get ourselves in all kinds of theological problems when you start uh, trying to answer certain questions. So asking questions of God is fantastic. He loves questions. Fire away. We cannot stump him. But the question is, uh, so questions like, uh, did God know Adam and Eve were going to sin? The answer is, Yes, of course he knows. He knows everything, right? He knows every possible scenario that could be, and he knows the one that is going to be. Try that one on for size, right? Oh, it makes my head hurt. Um, so did, did God already have an answer for Adam and Eve when Adam and Eve sinned? Yes. Yeah. Woohoo! Fantastic. This is, this is the good news that we're all going to wear yellow shirts and talk about in two weeks, right? Yes, he did. This is fantastic. Um, but... Did God cause them to sin? No, right? He didn't cause them to sin. Did he set them up to fail? No. But there are, there are questions that you can ask that you can come up with and you go, whoa, did God ordain the sin? Depends on how you define the word ordain. If he knew about it beforehand, absolutely. Did he have a response for it? Absolutely. But he didn't cause them to sin but he knew and he had a response. So somewhere in there is his wonderful, spectacular resolution. That's exactly why we don't argue with an atheist. That's exactly why what? You don't argue with an atheist because depending upon their words, they can get you into trouble using their words the wrong way. Yeah, it, I, so my perspective is you, you go back to the source of the truth, right? right? So the scripture says this. The scripture says this. The scripture says this. And... Fortunately for us, because God is all wise and all wonderful, uh, God deals with that, right? So, yeah. Isn't where where free will comes in? Okay. How much free will do you really? I'm going to run with this for a second. How much free will do you really have? So. 
So Grudem actually argues quite successfully, I think, that the only being in the universe that really has free will is God. And he's actually limited his by his word to be a good God, to be a righteous God, to be a holy God, and that we don't have free will to say, I want this chair to disappear. That it is in my will to make this chair disappear. Well, that's okay. Yeah, it feels like we're playing with word games here, right? Um, but, but we have a certain amount of free will to obey or not to obey, right? Yeah. And God knows. He knows which way we're going to go because he's all-knowing and he's awesome like that and all-wonderful. Um, I'm going to start using that phrase, by the way, all-wonderful. Uh, I read that a couple weeks ago in a blog post. and I was like, I'm going to work that in Sunday school. So you're going to hear that because I think he is. He's all-wonderful. Fantastic. So, uh, but yes, we will talk about the, uh, the free will aspect when we do the doctrine of, uh, how does he define it, Albert? Uh, is it the application of redemption? Yes, that's how he defines salvation. The application of redemption. I'm like, just say the word salvation, you know. So hang on, hang on. I'm going to hang on to that question until I think it's November. Okay? How's that? That's, that's patience right there for you. It's like page 800 or so in there, ish, something like that. Okay. So, so, let's talk about, so let's talk about what this doctrine of sin is not. This doctrine of sin is not there is evil that has always existed that is battling good that has always existed. That is not what we're describing here. That is Star Wars. Okay? So that is called dualism, is that there is good and that there is evil. I forget which way I did good or evil. There's good and evil. Uh, God is not uh, defined as... I'm going to get myself tugged out here. Um, has evil always existed? Let me ask you that question. No, it has not. And since it has not, by definition, the one who has always existed will win. <laughs> yes! This is great news, right? This is why we get excited about this. This is why we care enough to tell our neighbors and our friends that Jesus loves them and he's going to win. He's already got this tied up with a bow on it in heaven, right? It's already done. Uh, fantastic stuff. So we're not talking about there's an evil power in the universe and a good power in the universe and they're going to war and we're going to figure out who wins and we're waiting to see how it goes. No, 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 no not at all. Uh, God's not surprised at sin or challenged by sin. Uh, this isn't something that he... That when Adam and Eve sinned, he went, man, i got to go to plan B. That gum, right? Jesus, Jesus didn't go, well, I guess i got to go. <laughs> no, there, there just wasn't any of that, right? God has the solution before we have the problem. We see that. That's worth, that's worth tweeting. Can you write that down and make sure I get that in my notes? Uh, we see this in Genesis chapter 2. And then we see it in the whole rest of the scriptures, right? So when we come up on a problem and we go, oh, what am I going to do? This surprised me. Well, it didn't surprise God. He's already got a solution for that. It's okay. So we can borrow from his uh, wonderful planning. So, so who sinned first? Depends on how you define sin, right? How do we define sin? Sin is any uh, failure to respond to God's moral law in Act in attitude or in nature. So who was the first act? Satan was, right? So Satan had the first act of rebellion toward God. Uh, who was the first human act? I think Eve. Romans says Adam. We'll talk about that in a minute, okay? Um, 
Yeah, it's fun, right? <clears throat> so careful, careful. We're not going there. We're not going there. So your blank is relative to the human race. Relative respect to the human race, the first sin was that of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And this is Genesis chapter 3, right? Genesis chapter 1, God makes it perfect. Genesis chapter 2, uh, we have this beautiful marriage. Genesis chapter 3, we break it. Yeah. It's like the, the, the toy that you brought your kid uh, from the toy store, right? We didn't even get it home before we broke it. You know, they're sitting there going, I don't, I don't think this was right. This is... Yeah, yeah that's right. So, uh, so let's look at uh, a couple of things here. Grudem makes the point, he says, all sin is ultimately irrational. Which I think is kind of a neat statement. Because if you have a long enough view in mind, all sin is ultimately irrational because it affronts God. Right? It feels very rational right now. Like, Right now, in the moment, absolutely, it feels very rational to lie to that police officer so I don't get a speeding ticket so I can use God's funds to do something else. That thought's never crossed through my mind. Um, yeah. So, so we have this idea that, um, that it makes sense, it's good, it's okay, and any time that we feel that sin is okay, it's because I have a short view of things, because I do not have a long enough view of the eternality and the impact of all of this. Um, so I do want to. I do want to bring up one thing real quick. Uh, Grudem says it's important to insist on the historical truthfulness of the narrative of the fall of Adam and Eve. The New Testament authors look back on this account and affirm that in Romans five, and we're going to read this longer passage. If you want to flip to Romans five real quick in your Bibles, that sin came into the world through one man, and insist that the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. So if you believe in billions of years and slow, uh, uh, is it uh, whatever? It's the, the Bill Nye the Science Guy version of uh, evolution. Uh, if you believe in long, long time and primordial soup and uh, monkeys and uh, 14 different versions of man, and then all of a sudden there was a guy named Adam and a guy named Eve, and they represented all of humanity, there's a problem with that. Uh, because what about everything before? And it's just, it doesn't... Romans breaks if you believe that, which is a problem. Okay, so let's talk about uh, C, the doctrine of inherited sin. Are we still on the front side of your handout? Yes? Awesome. Good. The doctrine of inherited sin. So how does this in affect us? So Adam and Eve sinned, so what? What do I care? How does that, how does that change things? All right, so we have inherited guilt. Uh, we are counted guilty because of Adam's sin. So let's read Romans 5, verses 6 through 21. I'm going to read a longer passage today. Romans 5, 6 through 21. You got it, Shelby? Got it. Awesome. I'm going to come over so you can get you on the podcast as well. <laughs> Go for it. For when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For sacredly, for a righteous man Scarcely. will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we were good and Christ died for us, right? Much more So than we were good and Christ died for us, right? No, we were bad, okay? Much more than, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Who's wrath? Who's angry here? Why would God be angry? 
Because there's sin, right? We just talked about this. He has to be hateful towards sin because he's righteous and he's got to deal with it. That's, that's the way this works. So we're going to learn a couple of Bible terms here in a minute. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So who was reconciled? Was God reconciled to us or were we reconciled to God? We were reconciled to God. God didn't move, right? God's holiness and righteousness stayed exactly where it was. God didn't say, you know what? Man's, man's dirty. Maybe I'll become a little dirty so I can relate to man. No, no, no. God remained righteous and holy the entire time. So he reconciled us to him. It's an accounting term, but it's really important. Math's important in your salvation. <laughs> you don't know where to go from that, do you? Yeah, that's awesome. I can keep going with that if you want. God, God defined the branch of mathematics in Genesis chapter 1, where he counted. And he said, these are the numbers and these are their orders. Pretty cool. He also defined history, language, um, English, uh, science, uh, a whole bunch of different branches of science, all in Genesis chapter 1. The, the basis for all of our academic studies is Genesis chapter 1 because of the way in which God laid them out. So it's actually kind of cool. So squirrel, but we're back to Romans. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Amen. Therefore, just as through one man's sin entered the world... How many men's sin? One. So is the one man important? Yes, the one man is important. you got to have the one man. If you do away with the one man in Genesis 1, guess what you don't get to have? Keep going. And death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. For unto the law sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed. Imputed is given to, it's laid on, okay? When there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who have had not sinned according to their, the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who, ha, who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offense. For it by the one man's offense, many died. So if, if by Adam we died, right? If we get into this mess by one man, then what happens? Much more grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, <coughs> abounded to many. We don't get to get out of it by one man if we don't get into it by one man. Okay? Now, I detest the concept that I am guilty because of what somebody else did. That feels so anti-American. Right? So, uh, now, officer, you're an officer, correct? Excellent. All right. If Shelby speeds... Okay, so she is speeding. You pull her over. You give her a ticket. I'm going to armbar her and take her right to jail. You're going to armbar her? Wow, okay. So I don't know where to go with that. Um, do, I, do I get the bill? Do I, get, do I go no. to jail too? Because she speeds. Theoretically, no. If, I didn't, if I'm in California and you catch her speeding in Hickson, right. no. am I? No. No. 
That's how our legal system works, or it's supposed to work, is that if, if, if you do something, you, you're on the hook for it. I'm not on the hook for it. I didn't have anything to do with that. Adam did something. Shelby did something. I wasn't there. You weren't there. But we are guilty. But because we are guilty, we can also be set free by one man. So one man wrecked it. One man fixed it. You want a summary of the whole Bible? There you go. <laughs> That's the good news. The good news is that I can't fix it on my own, but there is a man that can. Praise the Lord for that, right? So let's keep going. We're not done yet. Romans 5 is, Romans 5 is as deep as you want to go. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the, for the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses result in justification. For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who received abundance of the grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in the life through the one Jesus Christ. So which one's stronger? Did, was the death that reigned stronger or the life that reigned stronger? The life that reigns is stronger, right? Which is fantastic. It's the, it's the comeback story of the whole history of the world. It's beautiful. So let's keep going. A couple more. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Have we, have we beat this point pretty solidly at this, at this point in Romans chapter 5? That one man's sin. Okay, great. Just want to make sure. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience... So how many times have we said one man's disobedience, one man's... I mean, we really... We, I mean, we kind of got this figured out, okay? All right, let's keep going. Many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Amen. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to the eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. That's the good news. The good news is that Adam broke it and Jesus fixed it. What part do I play? But, but nothing. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing goes in that blank. What part do I play, right? All right, so here's your blank. God thought of us as having sinned when Adam disobeyed. So we became sinners when he disobeyed. That's the way that works. Yes, Albert? I was going to say, I think Romans 8 does a good job of addressing. Yes. Um, if you don't mind, Go for it. Romans 8.20 addresses the sin issue. Um, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. Absolutely. So that's uh, definitely Adam coming in and, and kind of breaking it. And we're groaning, creation is groaning, yep. because we really didn't do it, but we're under that curse. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. And then, and then it goes on, of course, from there. And that's right. <laughs> it's the Jim's abbreviated version of all things. Yes, sir. Can I play, uh, ask you a question? Sure. By what you're saying, and it's devil's advocate, 
Now sure, I'm, absolutely. I don't believe what I'm about to say. Okay. <laughs> and so please note the devil's sitting in the dark today, right? Of course, my wife's also sitting in the dark, but we won't go there. By man, sin came into the world. Therefore, Correct. we are all sinners. Sinners. Yes. Okay. So by one man, salvation has come into the world. Are we therefore all saved? Fantastic question. Well, I thought so myself. Yep. <laughs> Did you see his body language? That was. That's right. That's good. So I'll answer you with scripture. I'll answer you with scripture. What, what does the scripture say? Does the scripture declare universalism, which is the, the theological position that that question is coming from, which is that everybody will be saved and will be in heaven? No, the scripture doesn't say that. The, the scripture spends a significant portion of time talking about the eternal damnation associated with hell and those that reject God, those that do not accept his son, Jesus Christ. So while I would love, I would, it would, I would love to be able to say that that was true, it is just not. You don't get to heaven without going through Jesus. But it doesn't Jesus, stop people from saying that. Though. Absolutely. I mean, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So well, Jesus opens the door so that all could, but all don't. I think uh, going back to Romans 5, part of it uh, we see that's all yes, we've all sinned through Adam. Yep. But he puts also the accountability of that sin not on Adam per se. Here we go. Come on. on now you're making the next point. Now you're making the next point. Good. Alright, let's keep going. So, so we are counted guilty because of Adam's sin, right? Alright. So I skipped the blank here. Okay. If we think, yeah, if it probably is, yeah. Um, if we think it is unfair for us to be represented by Adam, we should also think it is unfair for us to be represented by Christ. Can't you? You got to be all in or all out. What do you want to do? If you're all in, you get to be represented by Christ. If you're all out, you got to do it yourself. but I have nothing in my hand to do that with. It's exactly right. That's the problem. So, Jesus. So, point number two there, inherited corruption. We have a sinful nature because of Adam's sin. So, anyone who has raised children can give experiential testimony to the fact that we are all born with a tendency to sin. Yes. Anyone who has been a child knows that we have a tendency to, yes, we sin. Parents spend time teaching children how to do right. Now, we illustrate for them how to do wrong but we teach them how to do right, okay? Um, so let's look at, uh, let's just go ahead and go to point D. I'm skipping over in our natures, we totally lack spiritual good before God, and we're unable to do spiritual good before God. I will, I will simply hearken back to all our righteousness is as filthy rags. And we're in mixed company today, so I cannot go into the description of what that text really means. Uh, but we'll just, for argument's sake, say it's the nastiest laundry you can do. Okay? Just the nastiest. So that's the best I can do. So imagine me this morning getting ready for church. I went and dug my Easter at Coolidge shirt out. Yes, it's too big this year. I'm loving it. Uh, but imagine it had uh, blood stains, and imagine it had grease, and it had oil. Uh, imagine that I had used this, Sean, when you and... Uh, Stephen came over to fix the truck, and we just wiped the whole truck down with my shirt, right? And then we left it outside for my neighbor's dog to sleep on. 
And the dog, you know, needs to go do his business. So let's do that too. Uh, and we'll bury it for a couple days. Uh, my dad taught me the best uh, catfish bait in the whole world. We would go buy chicken livers on like a Tuesday. We'd bury them. And by Saturday, oh boy, they were, he called, he, his southern word was ripe. I never understood how that was ripe. Ripe to me was the tomatoes ready to pick and slice and eat. That's wonderful. So let's wrap my T-shirt up in the chicken livers too and bury that. So, and then I wear that this morning. That's as good as I can do before God. You're like, oh, yeah, it's an O thing. We need Jesus, right? That's the theme today. We need Jesus. So, so now let's go to, let's make it personal, right? Let's make it personal. So D, actual sin in our lives. Number one, all people are sinful before God. All people are sinful. I believe there's a couple of verses of Scripture that say this, right? Yes, Romans 3.23. Yeah. And 6.23 says... Which ones all have sinned and come short of the glory of God? Thank you. That's what I thought it was. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All have Not some. All. All have sinned. So Grudem asked the question, are there degrees of sin? Are some sins worse than others? Which is a neat question to ask. So it has two parts, I think, the answer. It depends on where you're coming from when you ask the question. Uh, from a legal guilt perspective, all sins are equal. Anything, you are guilty, right? You're guilty before God. From a consequence perspective, if I say something rude to Darla that is sinful right now, that is mildly rude, like, I don't like your sweater. I do like your sweater, Darla. It's a very nice sweater. But if I were to say, I, I, don't, like pink, I don't like pink duck commander, I, that, that offends me, that you're wrong for doing that, right? I don't have to. She'll take care of you. Yeah, I know, right? But, but if I were Doug to come up to her, I, I carry a knife in my pocket, and put a knife to her throat. She chewed you. Well, but would it damage our relationship? Well, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. right. Maybe did, and I would be less friends. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so there are sins that have more earthly consequences that can damage our reputations, that can impact our walk for Christ, and in fact our witness. These types of things. So yes, from a from a influence perspective, some could be before God. No, it's it is what it is. Right. Um, I think this shows up best in our laws. Uh, our laws are generally dictated based on what we do, not what we think about doing or how we feel about someone. Aren't you thankful for that? Amen? Uh, so would it be annoying if you had to arrest people based off of what you thought that they thought? <laughs> Ugh. <laughs> Right? This gets really messy. I mean, it's messy enough as it is. I, I don't want any more messiness. That's, that's hard, right? I, I don't know how we do this. Um, all right, so I'm going to fast forward really quick. Uh, so point number five under D, what happens when a Christian sins? So here's the beautiful thing. A, our legal standing before God is unchanged. Yes. Yes. Our legal standing before God is unchanged. Uh, in theological terms, we keep our justification. In theological terms, we keep our adoption. However, B, our fellowship with God is disrupted. Right? So we disrupt. It's like a Wi-Fi signal that's not 
strong. You've moved out of range. There's got some issue here. Yeah, that's right. We've, we've got some issue. The beautiful thing, how do we get back in range? Repent. Confess. Absolutely. That's right. Exactly. Oh, that's good, isn't it? That's good. I like that. I'm going to use the Wi-Fi thing again because the router doesn't move, right? Boom. I like it. I like it. So let's look at the punishment of sin very quickly, and then we'll be done. Because Justin's sitting in here, and we got some directions coming. So the punishment of sin. So what is the punishment of sin? Death. Death. But I don't like that punishment, Judge. I want to appeal to the mercy of the court. Can I appeal to the mercy of the court? <laughs> yeah, it's Jesus. <laughs> now, you got to appeal before the judgment comes down. There's no... There's no standing before the judge and appealing at that point. The appeal has got to have been done before, right? You don't get to fill out your tournament bracket after the last game's over. <laughs> Not the way it works, okay? The appeal has got to be done before. Otherwise, we fall into universalism, right? And everybody's in, and that's not the way this works. So a uh, couple points here. In the cross, we have a clear demonstration of the reason God punishes sin. If he did not punish sin, he would not be a righteous God, and there would be no ultimate justice in the universe. But when sin is punished, God shows himself to be a righteous judge over all, and justice is being done in his universe. He is loving and just even in his punishment of sin. He is merciful to us in that we get to participate in his love through Jesus Christ so that we do not have to pay for our own sin. I can either pay for it myself, or I can let Jesus Christ pay for it. Those are our two options. All theology will fit into one of those two buckets. I can do it myself. I can let Jesus Christ do it. I have elected to vote Jesus. So hashtag vote Jesus, right? Uh, because hashtag vote Jim will not work. Hashtag vote Jim will end up in hell. And I can't do it on my own. I trust him. So the hero of the story is Jesus. The result of the doctrine of sin is judgment. You've got two paths. Which one will you choose? So that's the lesson for today. Thank you so much. for Thank you for the questions. This was a lot more fun with questions and dialogue. So we'll have to do this more. I, I love the, the question. Yeah, that was fantastic. That was absolutely fantastic. So next week's Scripture memory passage is very long. I will let you pick any of the two verses that you would like to, to say. So two, any two out of the four that are listed there. We'll go with that. Uh, at your tables is a piece of paper with some prayer requests on it, so please lean in and do that. Uh, we've got the egg stuffing party today here at this campus immediately after the worship service is over this morning. Uh, Justin Harness. Wait, Justin. Some of you know Justin. Some of you don't. Uh, Justin's been in my class for eight years now. That's pretty cool, yeah. Uh, so we pray for Justin regularly. He has to have had tolerated this for this long. Uh, but he is heading up the, the egg stuffing party today at this campus. And when we finish in prayer in here, nobody in here has permission to go to the sanctuary. That's what we do. We're going to help. Okay. We're going to help him get set up. We're going to help him get ready. If you want to go to the sanctuary and set your Bibles in and then come back in real quick, that's fine. But we're going to, y'all are looking at me like, huh? What? What? I don't, yes, we're going to do something different. <laughs> breathe, ye Baptists, breathe, right? Um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, that was really funny, wasn't it? <laughs> but we're going to go into that closet. And we're going to grab uh, empty totes and put candy in them and get them into the gymnasium and get everything set up for the gymnasium. So for the couple hundred people that show up after the service is over, 
we're good to go and we can go execute against that very quickly. All right? Justin's got another announcement. Yes. First things first, though, if you guys will stack all these chairs and six or sevens on the wall, yep. we'll need these tables. It'll just save us one step when we get in there and get, finish what we need to do in there we'll be coming back to grab these tables. Um, so after prayer, just a, a handful of you guys come back to the back with me. We'll throw the candy and the totes, um, and then we'll take off over to, to the gym and get everything set up. Thank you. Awesome. So I'm, I'm going to do something different right now, too. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to be dismissed. So make sure your prayer requests are on the weekly update. If you need to take a second to write those down and do that. But I'm just going to close this in prayer collectively this morning, okay? Let's pray, guys. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it is the source of truth. We thank you that uh, we can rely on it and depend on it. We thank you for the clarity that it provides in our lives, that we don't have to be afraid, that we don't have to worry, that we don't have to be consumed with fear or doubt or shame because we know that Jesus Christ has resolved our sin. He has paid for it fully, completely, totally on the cross. We trust him for that. We thank you for that. We acknowledge your wisdom and your mercy and your grace and your justice in the universe. And we thank you that you are a good, righteous, all-wonderful God who loves us and has given us an opportunity to spend eternity with you and that that eternity begins now. We thank you for that. We love you for that. We ask you to use us through that to share that message with others in our community and in our world. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.